everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Rapping with Reef Bomb. I'm your host, Keith Perklehammer. So, on today's live stream, I welcome back Bill Bermucci from Epic Aquaculture. What's up there, Bill? Hey, how you doing, Keith? So, Bill was on the show nearly two years ago, and he is the owner of Epic Aquaculture. He is a stickhead like me and specializes in premium higher-end SPS corals. But before we start our chat with Bill, I want to take care of a little business and thank the sponsors for the show, both Bulk Resupply and Ecotech Marine. I really appreciate their support. And I also appreciate you folks tuning in. I see a whole bunch of people finding the stream right now. So uh, please spread the word. And as per usual, hit that like button so more people can find the stream. And as normal, I would encourage you folks to drop your questions in the chat comments are encouraged and we uh, we love to have an interactive discussion on the live stream here so bill my, my first question was how you been doing but uh you you gave me a call about 20 minutes before the live stream and you were not a uh, a happy camper and um i i thought we weren't going to do the stream man because what you were describing to me was a uh, a reef keepers one of the uh, worst nightmares that a reef keeper can have um, and I, uh, I applaud you for wanting to continue to, uh, go ahead with the stream tonight and actually talk about what happened with your system. So it, um, I mean, listen, you could have just, uh, avoided the whole thing and, and, and not talked about it. And we could have kind of had the conversation as planned in terms of talking about your, uh, your coral farm and, and your 460 gallon tank. We will still be talking about that, but man, let's uh, let's talk about what's just happened to you in the last 24 hours with your uh, with your system. Sure. So, uh, like you were saying, uh, I had a, uh, an unfortunate uh, and unnecessary uh, accident with my 460 gallon tank. Uh, I had um, a, a bit of a phosphate issue in the tank. Uh, it had gotten crept up to about 0.16. And uh, in the past, I've used uh, uh, phosphate E from uh, Brightwell to occasionally uh, lower the phosphate quickly. Uh, and that's a, basically a, a diluted lanthanum chloride product. Uh, and for those that don't know, lanthanum chloride is a product that uh, is, is also used in swimming pools. And um, basically, it binds to uh, the phosphate and creates small particles that get filtered out of, in, in the case of a swimming pool, it gets filtered out in the, in the pool filter. And in the case of an aquarium, if you use it, you need to run a filter after the area that you drip the uh, lanthanum chloride into so that it filters out those particles. Uh, if you don't do that, the particles can get into the gills of fish and cause problems. Uh, I was aware of that, but I wasn't aware of how bad the problems can be. Uh, and as I said in the past, I used aquarium products for this, and, and they worked well for me. I didn't have any issues. Uh, but I found out uh, both online and from a friend that um, you could use a product called C-Clear, which is for pools to uh, do the same thing. And it is a lanthanum chloride, but it's much stronger than the aquarium products that we use. Uh, so basically... I, I calculated the appropriate dose based on others' experiences, uh, set up my, uh, my dosing last night to dose the amount that uh, I wanted to lower it to my target range. Uh, it started the drip at about 3 p.m. last night, or yesterday, I should say, 
I went to bed at about 11 and everything looked fine. And then this morning when I woke up and looked at the tank at 8 a.m., uh, half of my fish were dead on the bottom of the 460. Um, and so, of course, I panicked. Uh, I had no idea what caused it. I, I thought, you know, is this an equipment failure? Is, uh, did something get into the water, uh, foreign substance? Um, did somebody drop something into the water? I, I, I absolutely had no clue, but the furthest thing from my mind was that the lanthanum chloride would have been the problem because I had used lanthanum chloride in the past, not this product, but other products, and it had been successful and caused absolutely no stress that I could see. So then I walked over to one of my frag systems, which I had also dosed uh, because the phosphate had crept up a little bit in there too. In both cases, the phosphate was not high enough where this was a necessary thing for me to do. I was just trying to keep things in my target range uh, more for, uh, uh, you know, to, to keep things the same and to keep everything running the way that I normally have it. Uh, when I looked into the frag system, I usually keep a few tangs in my frag systems to keep algae at bay and, and a few other what I call utility fish. Uh, and the tangs were uh, on their sides dead. Um, and then it occurred to me, what's the common denominator? Because these are completely separate systems, uh, separate equipment, separate sumps, the whole works. And the common denominator was the lanthanum chloride. And then it, then I, it was an aha moment. Uh, obviously, the first thing I did was get the fish out that, that had passed and then uh, started water changes on the, uh, the tanks. Uh, to this point in the day, I've done 120 gallons on the 460-gallon tank. I also fortunately had some one-micron uh, filter socks available to me, so I put those in the tank to filter out the particles which were causing the issue. Uh, and and I was helped, um, but I have lost about half my fish at this point. Um, I'll go through the list real quick just because, as it turns out, and I'll explain this in a minute or two, uh, certain fish are much more susceptible to this issue than others. But the list of fish from the 460 that I lost and the frag system uh, is that uh, I lost a ruby red scooter, a flame wrasse, a regal angel, Oh. My male Watanabe angel, my female Watanabe angel, a large sailfin tang, five fox faces, a purple tang, five yellow tangs, a white tooth bristle or white uh, tail bristle tooth tang, a coal tang, uh, hippo tang, and I think that's the uh, the total right now. So you're getting a lot of uh, you're getting a lot of comments and condolences in the chat. People are just really bummed out about this, uh, Bill. Yeah, yeah, I am too. And uh, it's I've never uh, I've been fortunate. I've never had anything like this ever happen to me. So this is a uh, I guess I kind of feel like I'm still in shock. I, I really am. Um, it's a, obviously a very humbling experience. Um, like I said, I, 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 as I was talking to you before the, the, the stream here, I, uh, uh, part of it was my hubris. I, I, it never occurred to me, I, it, not even in the furthest reaches of my mind, did I ever think that I was doing something that was going to harm the animals in my care. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there are some things that I've done in the past that I knew had some risk. Um, and I knew there's 
risk with the lanthanum chloride, but I didn't think there was this kind of risk. I, I just never occurred to me. So this has been just a major shock. Um, I'm, I'm pretty numb right now. It's, it's been very sad. Uh, I hope that the remaining fish uh, are going to be okay. And to this point, they seem to be. Um, they're swimming. They are eating. They seem a little skittish. Uh, and, but overall, they seem to be okay. Um, so I'm hoping that the worst is over. Uh, but, you know, that remains to be seen. But going back, you know, to, to a little bit of our conversation earlier, uh, I kind of want to, the reason that I wanted to talk about this today instead of basically avoiding um, talking about something so painful is that I think it can help some other people, uh, maybe if they are contemplating using this product or really any product that uh, something or piece of equipment that you're going to put into your, your uh, aquariums. Um, and that's do the research. Uh, I did not, uh, to be perfectly honest. I, I talked to a buddy who doses it. I did a little bit of research on, uh, on calculating how much I should be dosing. But if I would have just, and I did this after the fact, I googled, I killed my fish with lanthanum chloride. The very first thing that came up was uh, Richard from Aficionado had uh, this almost this exact same scenario happen to him a couple of years ago. If I would have read that article, I would have never put this product in my tank. And uh, he literally did almost the exact same thing that I did, which was he did some research got his calculation down, set things up for what he thought was the appropriate way to do it, dosed it, and within an hour, problems started occurring, and uh, he lost fish also. Not as many as I lost. Fortunately for him, he saw the problem pretty quickly and was able to start doing some water changes and try to rectify the problem. Mine, it was an extremely slow drip, and I think it reached a tipping point while I was asleep, uh, so I did not see the problems occurring and was only able to react after the fact, uh, when a lot of the, I mean, we, garbage. um, we get so emotionally invested in our tanks and in the animals <clears throat> that we have in our tanks. And, and, um, like I mentioned to you before the, uh, live stream, I had a, a kind of a similar type of situation in terms of a heavy loss of fish about a year ago on my peninsula tank. It was a new system and I was doing some maintenance on a peristaltic dosing pump. And I made the boneheaded mistake of actually having the liquids, um, near right below the peristaltic dosing pumps you know about four feet off the ground so when i did the maintenance on those pumps pump heads <clears throat> and took the rollers out that just released all the uh you know the uh, the, the pressure in the line and i was uh, mm -hmm. dosing ammonia nitrate <clears throat> so um unbeknownst to me about 800 mls of ammonium nitrate got um, dumped into my sump i left went out skiing actually came back about an hour or two later walked into the uh, to the room, and uh, I didn't see the fish out, even though the lights were uh, not on. And I was like, oh, that's odd. And then I sat down on my desk, <clears throat> and all of a sudden I look over the tank, and I out of the corner of my eye, I see a fish jumped out of the tank. I was like, whoa, what's going on there? And then I went over to look at the tank, and there was like fish that were just doing, you know, whirly birds and, and lying on their sides. And, and uh, it was like, so, I, you know, I was in a panic because, like you, I didn't know what was going on. I, I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't, uh, and, and it's, it's just really, I, I, uh, I feel for you right now because you, you just feel like you lost a loved one, right? I mean, you're, you're just, yeah. you're, you're, um, you're really just 
uh, it's it's really difficult thing to handle, especially when you don't know what's going on. You're trying to like play. All right. Yeah. I need to solve this problem because things are dying right now. Right. Right. So, and, you know, with, a, with an aquarium, uh, it's it's kind of a you kind of have a little bit of a God complex because you're in control of their fate. And that's what I feel so guilty because it was an unnecessary mistake yeah. and and you know they're the, the animals are the ones that suffered and uh and uh yeah it's it, it is you're right it's it's, it's very emotional very it it, emotional. Uh, it rocks your world uh, you know so rob from upstate new york is saying um so question so the effect from this was killing oxygen levels that would be my assumption right or is it uh, no actually no. What it does is um the phosphate binds with the lanthanum chloride and it creates small particles in the water those particles are they're very small. I'm not exactly sure micron-wise what they are, but generally speaking, uh, I found out that a lot of people use a 10 micron filter uh, <laughs> where they're dripping the the uh, lanthanum chloride into the tank, and that will filter out these particles. If the particles get into the water, they can actually get into the gills of the fish, and it suffocates them. So mm. it's a, a horribly painful death. I'm a I assume also, which is makes it even that much worse. So, and that explains also why some fish lived and some fish didn't. Uh, the ones that are remaining, you would never know. Um, they they're fine. They're eating. They're swimming around. So it's not like if you put a poison in the tank or if you have uh, ick or something like that, where it's a slow thing and and you can address it. it it's a, it's pretty sudden. Uh, right. And so um, as far as I know, it's actually a physical ailment, not an actual poisoning or anything like that. So, yeah, that's so, um, you know, I've, I've heard, you know, some reefing friends, you know, say, hey, I'm dripping lanthium chloride. And I was like, hey, that's not for me. And, and you know, I've also heard right. folks on the commercial side of the business, um, you know, doing it because they have such large systems and they need, you know, right. a lot of giddy up to get you know, phosphate out of the systems. What, um, I mean, so you're, you're, you're basically done, ever, you know, never using lanthium chloride again, I'm, I'm assuming, but yeah, uh, is this something that, um, reefers should really, really, um, you know, think twice about doing it, even if they've that, had success doing it once before? Well, I think that, uh, it's not, so much don't ever use it i that i i could definitely not say because i think a lot of people have used it successfully to accomplish what they want what i would say and what i didn't do is just do in-depth research on what what are the risks what are the appropriate ways to do it uh i set it up what i thought was appropriate but i'll have to be honest i was very cavalier about it because not only had i used the aquarium products with lanthanum chloride in them previously with success but also because a friend of mine is doing it and has not had any problems. He has similar fish to me, and, and his display tank is over 300 gallons, so it's a, a larger tank. Um, I also you know, know of a lot of other people that have used it successfully. So I wouldn't say don't use it. What I would say is know the risks and make sure that you have it set up so that you, there's as little possibility of an issue a, as can be. In my case, I thought I was good. I dripped it before my filter floss. I use filter floss in 
seven inch filter cups on this tank and it was also before my skimmer so my thinking was the floss will get most of it the skimmer will get the rest i shouldn't have a problem uh i was clearly wrong the floss probably didn't take much of i mean i'm sure it took some of it out but not nearly enough uh and in hindsight if i was going to do it i should have been dripping it into at least a 10 micron filter sock and since i have them i have one micron filter socks which aren't easy to find but I have them, that would have been probably the ideal way to do it. But like you said, once bitten, twice shy, yeah. I have no plans of ever using it again. And ironically, and I mentioned this to you also, uh, when I initially set up the tank, I had a, an algae turf scrubber on the tank uh, to handle nitrates and phosphates in addition to my skimmer and other filter media and such. Uh, the tank got very efficient at, at consuming the nitrates and phosphates, uh, so I decided, well, I'm going to take this piece of equipment yeah. off because why use electricity and just one less thing yeah. to have a problem with. So I haven't had the, uh, the algae turf scrubber on for uh, about a year now, and I had just decided this week that I was going to put it back on because my nitrates started to creep, or not nitrates, I'm sorry, phosphates started creeping up. So I was going to install it next week because my wife and I are going out of town this weekend and I don't make changes yeah. right before going out of town. So I, uh, I planned on putting it on uh, back online next week. Uh, and this was more or less just a Band-Aid, you know, to get things back in line before uh, before adding the, the algae turf scrubber on. So, um, again, my biggest uh, fault on this was assuming that this different product, which was a much different strength than the aquarium products that I used before, would not have much more of a risk than the aquarium products. Uh, and I thought I had my calculations correct. In fact, I, I double-checked it. They were correct for um, using what other people had done. But obviously, this uh, product was much stronger. And, and I really can't say why it it happened with this product and not the other products because I dosed them uh, in exactly the same manner before my filter floss and before my skimmer and didn't have problems. So I really don't know what the difference uh, is other than uh, I know that the concentration is much higher with this, but I still don't know why when I did the calculations and double checked them, why it would have caused this problem, but obviously it did. So. so Hindsight's yeah, it is. Uh, so some comments from the uh, viewers. Reefkeeper is saying, Mark, at Mel, Mel uh, this reef swears by lantium. I've heard too many stories of it killing tangs due to clogging their gills. Um, Eric L., man, that sucks. Had a similar thing happen years ago. Oddly, it killed just tangs in my situation. Um, again, comment about Mark using it uh, for years without um, year, years without issues. Uh, Reefaholic said, when I dose C-Clair, I dose about 1 mLs over 8 hours to 100 grams. That's, uh, gallons, that's uh, how potent it is. Yeah, and my, my dosage was 1.5 milliliters in a liter of, uh, of RODI water and then dripped. Uh, it would have taken about 30 hours for it to finish the drip. Only about 500 milliliters had dripped overnight. Uh, and then, of course, I took it offline right away at 8 in the morning. So that was over the course of approximately 15 mm. hours, which if you do, if you look at other people, that's pretty much in line with what he's saying. Uh, going into a 500-gallon total water system 
In fact, I did a, my phosphate test on it. It only lowered it from 0.16 to 0.10. So it got it exactly where I wanted it yeah. to get it. Uh, you know, so again, I'm, it's not so much that I, I would never say to use it because, you know, Malib uses it. A lot of people use it. Uh, I know that uh, Andrew Sandler, the gentleman with yeah. the 17,000-gallon aquarium, was using it last week because uh, they were out of GFO. Mm. But, you know, obviously they've got experience with that the products that they're using and have it set up correctly so that those particles don't get into the water. And I, I obviously did not. Uh, so, you know, it's a live and learn situation, hard lesson. And unfortunately, the fish paid the price in my case. And, uh, yeah, you know, David, David Waters is saying, so sorry this happened, but thank you so much for coming on to warn everyone of what can happen. That's for sure. You know, I think um, it's, um, it's, it's, you know, the, the good, the, the positive thing here, Bill, is that uh, you are sharing this very, very painful experience. And, uh, you know, I was talking to you about this. It's, it's not easy to talk about the failures, you know, and, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, it's, it's always awesome to share stories about the uh, successes, but the failures really hurt you know and and uh livestock loss hurts and uh it's tough you know it's just yeah. like i said before you're like so emotionally invested in this thing that um you know it just really impacts the psyche and uh we're not gonna uh we're not gonna hold you for uh for too long on the uh the live stream so whenever you need to uh you know go and take care of whatever you need to take care of you just uh you let me know but um I think we could we could also uh we could also talk about kind of what we intended to talk about which is your um Sure. <laughs> You're a uh, 460, unless you wanted to mention anything else about what's going on at this point. One other thing with the uh, uh, lanthanum chloride that I did learn after the fact is that tangs are most susceptible to the issue uh, and also uh, rasses. So anybody who's considering it, take that into uh, account if you have a lot of tangs and a lot of rasses. Uh, if I do the count of the, I think, 22 or so fish I lost... Uh, one, uh, two, seven, eight, nine, ten of them were tangs, mm. uh, five of them were fox faces, and, uh, several angels, three angels. So they were, a lot of them were, li were larger fish, and I learned after the fact that, like I said, tangs in particular and wrasses are most susceptible to this issue. Uh, and again, had I known that, I probably would have, you know thought twice about doing what yeah. I did. So, yeah. You know. Well, you know, like you said, uh, you know, hindsight's 2020. It's, uh, it's kind of tough to, uh, rewind the, uh, the clock, but you know, again, sharing this experience will p potentially prevent others from making, um, you know, having the same yeah. situation happen to them. So that, that is the plus that, um, right. you know, that's coming out of this. All right, man. So you sent me a video, of your 460 yeah. and uh i don't know is it gonna be too painful to play that video if there's some no, some fish actually, in there that yeah. are we can we yeah, don't have to we don't have to play we don't have to we don't have to play the video oh no no I, i'd like you to play it uh because okay. i think a lot of people are interested in how the tank looks today compared to how it looked two years ago um unfortunately uh a lot of these fish are not with me anymore this video i actually took yesterday so only about 24 hours ago um and, uh, it, but I think it, it shows, you know, where barring my huge mistake, uh, where the tank has come to and, and, you know, I'll, I'll recover. Uh, but 
I think it's a good video showing, you know, where the tank uh, has has come uh, over the last two years now. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, you um, you basically were, were starting this system up when we last spoke on the live stream, right? A couple of years ago, this tank was right, uh, yeah. just being set up. Yeah, I actually went back and watched that live stream, uh, and it, it was kind of interesting to see, you know, where it was at that point and where it is now. Um, it's basically uh, where I wanted it to be uh, in terms of, you know, I, I finished the construction uh, on the wall uh, and, and how everything is set up. Uh, obviously, it had all the fish in there and the uh, live rock is all in there now and, and lots of uh, corals that, that for the most part have done real well for me. So it's, it, overall, it's been a very successful tank. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, prior to today's events, I had been very happy with where it, where it had gotten to. So Re Refresh uh, our memories in terms of the, uh, the, the setup, in terms of the equipment, the lighting and all that stuff. Sure. Well, the tank itself is a 460-gallon tank. It's uh, seven feet uh, long by 42 inches wide by 30 inches high. It's set up in a peninsula, but it's also in a wall. So basically, you, it can be viewed as a, an in-wall tank, just like uh, you see a, a lot of people's tanks. But if you open the door and go into the fish room, uh, it's, it kind of becomes a peninsula tank where you can walk around three sides of it and get the long view as well as the back view. So when we have guests over, I put up a, a background on the tank so that you don't see the equipment and, and my, some of my grow-out tanks and such, which you can see and you'll see in the video. Uh, you can see right through the tank and see those, and you can see wires running where and equipment and such. So it looks a little bit nicer when we have company over to have the background up. Uh, but for me personally, I like to have the background down because I think yeah. You know, I can see see my equipment yeah. through the tank, and I don't even have to go into the room to see if there's an alarm or something yeah. like that. But uh, so, and I, it still looks nice with the background down. But it's also nice to be able to see all the way around the tank. And uh, I have corals mounted, you know, on the back side as well as the front side. So there's a lot going on in there. Uh, the aquascape was all from uh, dry rock. Uh, I used uh, E Marco to glue it together in three large pieces that I put into the tank. Uh, and then I've added to it since then uh, because I always run out of room for corals. So I'll glue another rock on that I can put a... <laughs> yep. <laughs> so it, when you first glance at the tank, it looks like there's a ton of live rock in there. And there is a good amount of live rock, but it's actually done in a, a negative space type of aquascape. So the, the rock is a lot of thinner pieces and it's a lot of... Uh, you know, branches and a lot of caves and, and things like that. There's a lot of swim-throughs for the fish to swim through. Uh, and and it, it really looks nice uh, when you see it, it, especially when you can take into the, the account the depth of the tank and seeing all these different valleys and, and canyons in the tank. Really it's nice. really turned out really nice. Um, and then uh, equipment-wise, uh, I have a, a nice uh, custom-made bash sea sump. Uh, I run a whole bunch of matrix in the tank for biological filtration. Uh, the, the matrix has an incredibly large surface area for bacteria to colonize. And of course, with the, the rock that I use, it's a fairly dense rock. So you don't really get as much of the, uh, the biofiltration out of it as you would with the old school live rock like Pucani and those kind of uh, very porous rocks. Uh, 
Um, so I make up for that using the Matrix. Uh, I have a, a Bubble King uh, Supermarin 300 skimmer on the mm. tank, uh, which does a great yeah. job of, of getting a lot of uh, things out of the tank. Uh, I run, I do run GFO on the tank occasionally. Again, not all of the time. Only when phosphate creeps up, uh, I'll, I'll run some GFO. So I have a Aquamax reactor for that. Uh, I run. Uh, uh, I initially had planned on putting a calcium reactor on the tank, but I started it out using two-part mm. and running it on uh, on Ecotech Versus, uh, and it has been so successful that I decided if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Wow. So I actually still use the Bionic from yeah, ESP yeah. as my two. How, uh, how and I use the bucket. I was going to say, how many mLs a day are you dosing with that stuff? Uh, let me tell you, I can tell you exactly. What <laughs> I was dosing like right 300 now. mLs a day on my 187 gallon system. And, uh, I was like, man, I just, I can't afford to keep doing this. So I went to a calcium reactor. It, it, you know, and, and I do like the calcium reactor. The type that I used was a Desteco. Mm. And the, the one concern I that I had with the Desteco is the media is not, uh, it's not crushed coral or any of the, the it's actually a marble type media. It's very pure, but it only puts calcium and alkalinity into the water. So it doesn't handle the trace element part of the things. Uh, whereas ESV has, or the Bionic, I should say, has trace elements in it. So it's a little bit more of a complete solution. Um, so my current dosing on the uh, five or the, the 500 gallon total water system is 654 milliliters for a day. each part so uh yes Ooh, so i'm putting in over a liter of wow. a day yeah it's going Yike, to... man, that's more than double but again uh, it's crazy how much but I, I use the five gallon buckets uh i do get it wholesale i was so gonna it's say a little bit right, easier. <laughs> um but yeah it, it, it and like i said i just become to to the point of you know it works so well for me that I actually sold my calcium reactor, so I don't even have it to, to <laughs> fall back on. But uh, for the time being, anyway, I'm I'm real happy with with how that uh, has gone. And I know that as the corals grow out, and you'll see in the video, there's actually quite a few frags in there. Not they're not all full size colonies at this point because I I collect over time, so you know I'm constantly on the lookout for something that's uh, I. Uh, catches my eye that I want in my tank or that I want to grow out uh, for my farm system and and, and to sell uh, through my business. So um, there's a lot of smaller pieces in there that are going to grow. So I know that I'm at 650 milliliters right now, but I'll probably be approaching that uh, 1,000 uh, milliliters Oof, at some point. Man. So, you know, <laughs> what's your... I may I may have to look into something a uh, different solution for the future, but right now what's, I'm good. Uh, what's your pH running at in that tank? What's the range of the pH? Uh, so I do run a, uh, a CO2 scrubber on my skimmer, uh, which helps for the uh, bottom part of it. So it generally runs about 8 to 8.3 uh, during the course of the day. Uh, at night, of course, it's, uh, it's much lower. Uh, generally, it's around 8. And uh, by midday, it's usually up to around 8.3. Um, Josh, uh, the box is asking, do you find the two-part raises salinity? I found it does when I was dosing a ton of it in my SPS reef. So I haven't run into any issues with that, but I'm a firm believer in water changes. So I actually do, uh, it's my intent to set up automatic water changes, but that's one of those things that I've kind of put off and I'll do it at some point. So right now I do about a 40 gallon uh, water change per week, which is a 10%, a little under 10% water change per week. 
Um, and I also do uh, a bigger water change around the first of the month, uh, usually around 80 gallons. Mm. So I'm changing out, I guess that would come out to what, about 200 gallons a month on the tank. And of course, mm, pardon me. <laughs> Uh, excuse me. Uh, when I uh, excuse yeah, me, take your time. Man. When I do that, um, I, yeah. When I uh, do that, I test the water that I'm uh, changing out prior to to adding the new water in. So I know where my salinity is at uh, on a weekly basis. And of course, I have, I have my uh, GHL system with the uh, salinity probe, which I don't particularly trust those salinity probes very much. But it does give me an idea of if things are going up or going down, yeah. and because of that, I too much of an issue. Uh, I also do uh, what I guess you would call uh, accidental, well, maybe not accidental is not the word, but unintentional water changes uh, when I do shows. So when I go to a show, I'll take whatever water I need with me to the show, and that comes right out of my tanks, both my, my grow-out and frag systems and also out of the display tank, too. If I'm taking some frags out of there, sometimes I'll have some things on racks in there just because... Uh, they may be corals that are a little more sensitive to change or that I know in my grow-out systems they may change color a little on me and, and so I'll just keep them in the display tank to keep the color that, I, that I've that i developed in that display tank yeah. and then you know, in that case I'm taking water out uh, to go to the show with that too. So I generally do about a, one show per month, sometimes two shows in a month and occasionally even more than that. Uh, so I actually end up changing out a whole bunch of water over the course of a month. Um, and like I said, I've always been a firm believer in that. And I think as a vendor, it's pretty much impossible not to <laughs> change water. You know, anytime I ship a coral out, I'm pulling water out to, to ship with. And so I go through quite a bit of water and, and a, a ton of salt every month. What, um, how big is your, um, tanks that you bring to the, uh, you bring one tank to a shell? Uh, it depends on the show. If I'm driving, I actually will bring uh, up to six tanks. Wow. Uh, I have uh, the total of tanks. So I have a two of them are uh, 30 by 24 inches. Uh, two of them are 24 by 20 inches. And then I have two that are 20 by 18 inches. And the reason that I have them where they go down like that is when I do fly to some shows that aren't uh, in driving distance to me, I, I take these tanks on the on the plane with me, and they actually will nest inside of each other. So hmm. I have a case. It's a nice pelican case. Nest the tanks inside of them, put them wow. inside the pelican case, and uh, I can take four uh, four tanks in one case. So uh, it works out great for me from a travel perspective um, to do that. And then, of course, when I drive, I can bring even more tanks because I don't have to worry about baggage and, and all of that. So I just bring all six of my frag tanks and set them up uh, on the, the tables there. I'm actually planning on uh, uh, building some stands for them that uh, a friend of mine who's a incredibly smart, uh, has an engineer's mind. He's not an actual engineer right now, but he, uh, he is just incredibly smart. His name's Jimmy Cox, and he can build just about anything. He's, he's an amazing uh, friend to have for a reefer for sure. And, He's helping me out right now and trying to design some uh, stands for the tanks, uh, probably using 8020 aluminum, and these stands will fold right down so that I can travel with those also and then set them up at a show. And by doing that, I'll, I'll 
be able to have even more room for the for the tanks. So that's something that I'm hoping to get done before Reefa Palooza in California, uh, which is in August. So sounds like you got this down to a science, man. In terms of traveling to shows, I mean, more power to you. I, I could never uh, manage that. I mean, how many uh, how many folks do you have helping you out doing all this? Uh, so my uh, my wife used to do the shows with me, and uh, that worked great. Uh, but she my son <laughs> my son in law actually moved here with uh, my daughter and their family uh, last July from Maryland, and he took over a business, bought a, a local business that actually um, it's a product called Reef Chowda, and uh, it used to be called Reef Stew, and it's uh, sold by uh, pretty much all of the local fish stores here in the in the uh, valley in the Phoenix area. Uh, and it's a mix of uh, phytoplankton, uh, algae, uh, copepods, and uh, brine shrimp. So it's a great live food for your tanks. Uh, so when he got into the business, I said, hey, would you be interested in doing these shows with me? And, you know, I'll pay for your travel and, and your meals and things like that. And that might be kind of fun. And uh, so now he does the shows with me. Uh, he's done them for about the last, I think, six months with me, and uh, we have a great time when we go on these shows. It's a lot of fun. You know, you get to meet a ton of hobbyists and yeah. a lot of other vendors and make a lot of connections. And, and of course, one of the most fun things for me is uh, uh, going around and looking at everybody else's corals and finding, you know, new goodies for my tanks and such. There you so, go. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's a great experience, really. We have a lot of fun with it. And uh you know, so far it's been really good. Uh, like I said, we we do about one a month, and sometimes a few more than that. Um, and we uh, we just got done doing a, a show in Santa Ana for uh, Steve Tyree with the Coral Farmers Market, and then uh, the following week we were in Denver for uh, Jake Adams' show uh, Reef Stock, and uh, so those were back to back for us. So that was. It was a little bit crazy, but it was fun. We had a real good time, and uh, we just started flying to shows. Uh, Reefstock was actually only our second show that we've flown to, um, and uh, it's been a learning experience for sure. And it's always interesting at the airport, you know, talking to the uh, airline people when you're bringing uh, packages, you know, these uh, Pelican cases that weigh almost 100 pounds. Uh, and I found that with Southwest Airlines, if you fly with them, uh, if you can keep your bags under uh, 50 pounds they'll fly, fly for free oh. just like normal luggage um i haven't been able to do that yet but <laughs> i'm working on that so my bags if they are between 50 and 100 pounds it's 75 dollars per bag which is cheaper than shipping them via you know air freight or, yeah. or ups or something like that so uh so that's what we've been doing we actually take it just like it's our luggage and uh you know, we show up to the airport with these huge cases that weigh 98 pounds and <laughs> put them up there on the on the scale, and everybody is like, "What's in those?" You know, and I tell them, "Hey, it's corals. It's live coral." And uh, you know, so but it's worked well so far. Uh, it's 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 gone well, and we're we're still learning. Uh, we'll be. I think our next one that we're going to fly to is going to be uh, in October, uh, and that'll be Dallas uh, Palooza in October. Uh, fortunately, there's enough shows that are near me where I can drive to most of them. A lot of them are in California, and uh, a few. Uh, we have a show here a couple times a year in Phoenix, and uh, we do uh, Las Vegas has a few shows that we do. So it, it's enough to keep us busy and and give us a pretty good schedule. And like I said, I try to schedule about one per month, and sometimes I'll do a few more than that. Uh, we have been trending towards some of the larger shows like Reefa Palooza, Reef Stock, and uh, Aquashella and such. 
so that's kind of where we're we're trying to get to where those become most of our schedule doing the live or the larger shows that are multiple day events. Are you uh, thinking about doing Reef Palooza in New York in June? Uh, not going to be able to do that one. I do have a show in Santa Ana for that month, uh, and I, I, I considered it, but doing more than one show, and in this case, it would be again back to back shows on back to back weekends. Yeah, that's it's grind. That's a lot of yeah. lot of work, and and at this point, I'm not ready to take on a uh, too crazy of a schedule like that. Uh, I think next year, though, we're going to look to do that. Um, I think we'd like to do all four Reef of Paloozas next year. Um, this year we're doing, we are doing uh, uh, the Anaheim Reefapalooza in August and then the Dallas Reefapalooza in October. So those will be the two that we do this year. Uh, and then uh, the one I really would like to do is Reefstock in Australia. That would be mm, cool. There you go. Wow, yeah, that's, that's, uh... I don't think that, I don't, I'm not sure how it would work to actually bring, uh, I don't think I could bring frags over there legally, so mm. I couldn't probably be a vendor. But who knows, maybe I'll attend it sometime anyway. There, there you go. It sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I, um, I, I usually go to the Reefpalooza show in New York. So, um, but that's the that's only, great show. yeah, that's the only place of, um, I, I haven't been to any other, uh, reef palooses. Um, so getting back to the, um, to the two part issue, I, I've seen this a couple of, uh, showed up a couple of different comments. Uh, have you ever, um, considered, um, uh, dosing a cockwasher to, to help along the, um, you know, to, to ease the burden, I guess, on the two part. Have you thought about it? Have you done that? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've actually run a calc reactor on my uh, prior tank, uh, so I have a calc reactor, or it's a calc stirrer. Um, I have one, and I just haven't quite gotten around to adding it. It's one of those on my to-do lists, and I suppose two years, I probably should have it on there by now, but I haven't done it yet. But yeah, I do plan to have that. Uh, I don't. I would never dose it out of my ATO just because uh, it, it's going to be based on how much evaporation you have then and so it's going to be inconsistent and we have extremely uh low humidity here in arizona most of the year it's it's actually below 10 percent mm. um, which is great for evaporative cooling i can i don't have to use any chillers on any of my systems um but it also means that i would if i were to dose through my ato i would be dosing an awful lot of calc washer. so uh, I, I would prefer to have it, you know, more steady and know exactly how much I'm putting in there, especially since it's going to be in relation to the two-part dosing too. So it's definitely on my plan to uh, run the Calcster here in the in the near future. Uh, it also has the added benefit of helping reduce some phosphates, and so I think that would probably be a good thing for me too to to help out in a, a little bit more of a natural way. Have you ever, um, or have you, or are you dosing bacteria? Actually, I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So. I, I use uh, Prati Bio. Uh, I use their Bio Digest. Yep. Uh, I've also used MB7 from Brightwell. Uh, and and prior to switching over to the Prati Bio, I had been dosing that uh, on a weekly basis. I would dose uh, to all of my systems. Um, I have found that uh, it's it's fairly easy if you're not doing that to to have your bacteria get out of balance. Um, there's always in every tank, there's always good and bad bacteria. It's impossible to not have any of your, the bad bacteria such as Vibrio and such in there. What, uh, if you have it properly balanced though, it, it generally, the bad bacteria are in lower levels and won't cause problems. The problems can be when, uh, things get out of balance and, uh, and you end up with things like Vibrio and such that will cause issues with your corals. 
Um, and I have had that happen. Uh, I don't know that for a scientific fact. I didn't do any kind of a biome test or anything like that. So I can't say for a fact that it was my bacteria getting out of balance. But I do know that once I started dosing some of the bacterial products and doing some water changes, it took care of the issue. So for me, that was enough to say that, it, you know, it, it's not going to hurt anything. Yeah. And it's not that big of an expense uh, to me. So uh, I, I think for me, it's it's something that works. And in fact, I, I one of the things that I wanted to talk about on the show with you today, uh, and I kind of mentioned it, was... I did have another problem with the tank, and this was fortunately a much slower moving problem. Uh, and and I, it happened to me before, so I should have recognized the signs sooner, but I didn't. Um, but basically, I had some magnets that rusted in the tank. Uh, they were in my frag racks, and I didn't notice them. I just noticed that things started to lose polyp extension and some color. Very, very slow process. But I noticed it in particular when I started looking at some pictures from about a year ago, and I was like, huh, things don't look like that yeah. right now. I wonder what the problem is. So I started doing some water changes and looking for issues. I sent out ICP tests, and eventually it occurred to me that, you know what, maybe it was magnets again, because in, in a past tank I had a probe holder that rusted, and uh, it was the same thing where I, I couldn't figure out all my tests came back okay and such. I removed the probe holder once I found it, did some water changes, and boom, within a month, things had bounced back. And again, the exact same thing has happened uh, with this tank. I, I had these uh, magnetic frag racks in the tank, and uh, I pulled them out, and sure enough, I could see the magnets were rusted in there. Got them out of the tank, did some water changes, uh, dosed, did some heavy doses of uh, bacteria to, to get things kind of just kick-started with that and now things have rebounded very nicely here in the last month so you know it, it, if it isn't one thing it's another <laughs> it's <laughs> it always like, something it's always something yeah you know? when you think you've got it all figured out you know something like that happens and again it was such a slow process i would say it's been about a year where it's been affecting my tank huh. and i noticed it in uh the, the one thing that i really noticed it in beyond just the the color of the corals and the polyp extension was my uh, uptake of the alkalinity. Um, it had dropped significantly over the course of, of, in particular, the last, I'd say, three to four months. And I was like, wow, you know, that's a bad sign. That means things aren't growing as they were right. before. Uh, and so I had actually reduced my alkalinity uh, dosing from the 600. Uh, it was actually as high as 830 at one point, milliliters per day. I had actually reduced it all the way down to about 350 Oh, wow, that's a big drop. Day. Now I'm back up to about 630 milliliters a day. So you can see it's rebounding and, and on the upward trend, which, of course, is the best sign of growth other than physically measuring things and seeing things get bigger. Um, knowing that they're taking up that alkalinity and calcium uh, is a, just a, a great sign. So it's, it's, you know, I think a lot of people think that especially if you grow corals uh, in a farm system like I do, as well as a display tank, that it's, you know, things are on autopilot and you don't run into nearly as many issues as some of the hobbyists and maybe less experienced people do. But it's uh, it's the same for us as vendors. You know, uh, we, we run into these kind of issues. And again, when you're when you kind of are on autopilot and things are going great, that's always when, you, you know, something can creep up like that. You get so complacent. You have to be diligent about 
Yeah, exactly. You do. You get complacent. You think, wow, this is great. I'm finally, you know, everything's dialed in. And it just goes to show that you always have to keep an eye on everything. You really do. And in that case, it was part laziness. The frag racks that I had in the tank were all these frags that I had purchased to mount in the tank. And uh, I hadn't gotten around to mounting them. So they were just sitting on these racks. And while the racks were designed for use in a marine aquarium, and they shouldn't have rusted, um, they did. You know, that's, that's what happened. At this point, I've removed as many magnets from my tanks as possible. Uh, my buddy Jimmy, uh, that I was talking about earlier, he uh, helped me out with a few things. He has a bunch of 3D printers, and so he is always designing different things for the aquarium. And he actually, I use uh, uh, some Maxpec uh, gyres on one end of my 460-gallon uh, tank, and they're very effective at moving the water. Yep. does a great job, especially on a peninsula tank. Uh, but again, they're, they have magnets. Uh, so they haven't rusted or anything that I know of in this tank, but I decided, okay, I want to get the magnets out of the water. So he designed um, a mounting system that actually mounts the the gyres to the euro brace on my tank. Oh, cool! So now, yeah, so now they're no it's about a two inch mount. It keeps the magnet just above the water, and uh, it but the gyre runs the same way that it did before when I had the magnets in the water. But now I don't have to worry about the magnets resting in the water. So the only magnets that I do have in the tank are on the the MP60s that I run. Uh, but with those, I actually uh, rotate them out on a monthly basis. So if they do start to rust, I'll notice it. Uh, and and so I think at this point, I've gotten it where I shouldn't run into any magnetic issues in the tank rusting. So, um, so uh, that's something that I think the reefer should be cognizant of, though. Make sure you check your magnets regularly. This is the second time somebody's made this comment. I need a Jimmy Cox in my life, too. Uh-huh. <laughs> um yeah you know the same thing happened to me with a uh with a frag rack you know i thought um it was a um a a high quality frag rack in terms of the magnets and all that yeah. stuff and and uh, it was in one of my frag tanks and um I, you know i'm not sure i was actually to the point where i was having issues with the tank in terms of corals being impacted and and mm -hmm. um being stressed out by what was going on with the magnet in the tank but i don't know so somehow i uh, i noticed that uh one of the magnets was completely rusted out so yeah how long how do you think it was in there rusted um you know probably a couple of months i would think okay probably a couple of months yeah and in this case i think it was probably close to a year yeah and so i think it's a real slow thing yeah which is why i think it's it's an overlooked issue and i've seen the debates you know on different uh boards and and different uh you know uh, social media and such about oh well we, you know, we use GFO in our tanks, and, and that's just rust, so I don't think rust is an issue. And, you know, yes, GFO is basically rust, there's no doubt, but in that case, we know what the metal is that's rusting and what it, it's designed for the aquarium. The magnets that are used in frag racks are not designed to be in an aquarium. They're, they're standard, uh, you know, rare earth, most of the time rare earth magnets that were never designed to be in salt water. And if you, I can almost guarantee you, if you take one of those rare earth magnets and throw it into your sump and let it go for a year, you're going to have issues. And it's probably going to be a lot sooner than a year because it's not <laughs> being protected by any acrylic or anything like that. Um, so while, while you can say, yeah, we use GFO and that's just rust, 
it's not the same. It is, it, you know, like I said, those rare earth magnets or any other magnet that that you don't know what's in there. And uh, and even the same uh, a magnet that's used, you know, if you have several different uh, reef uh, or, or frag racks from from the same uh, company, the magnets aren't necessarily from the same supplier, and they're not Good necessarily point. the same bag. So you don't know what the magnets are that are going in there. So if your one frag rack is never rusted or, or it has rusted and hasn't caused any problem, that doesn't mean that another piece of equipment isn't going to cause the problem. So I'm not saying don't use magnets in aquariums, but what I am saying is check them regularly. Yeah. And, uh, and especially if you do start to notice some changes in how things are going and you can't find any other issue, um, that, that's going to be something that I would say check any magnet that's in your tank. And it can be a the smallest magnet that you don't even think about. Like in my case previously, it was a probe holder. I checked all my other magnets on the obvious things like power heads and stuff. I didn't even think about the probe holder. And then one day I was in there cleaning the probes and I was like, this is a magnet too. I pulled it off and sure enough, it had broken open oh, and, really? and was rusty. I'm going to, yep. uh, right after we get off this uh, live stream, I'm going to go check my probe holder magnets. <laughs> Sometimes yeah, you just yeah, just yeah. sometimes you just take certain things for granted. You don't even think about stuff and things yes, like absolutely. just are right. Um, let me ask you this question before I forget because somebody had asked it uh, a while ago in the chat. In terms of lighting, you're still using the uh, the Radeon, um, the Ecotec uh, Radions, and you're, you use like a hybrid solution, right? With um, yeah, exactly. Uh, so my lighting uh, over this tank is the same as it's been over other tanks that I've had over the past uh, few years. Um, I run the Radeon, most of the G4 Pros. I do have a couple of G5s that I've added on, well, I, that I've replaced G4s with. Um, and, and the main reason I did that was to get the Wi-Fi capability. Uh, um, so I uh, uh, run the G4 Pros uh, with the uh, T5s in the uh, aquatic life fixture. So the way it looks over this tank, um, one of, and I think most people that use LEDs know this, one of the, the shortcomings of LEDs is that they're a point source light and you can really get a lot of shading in particular if you go by the manufacturer's recommendations. Um, so my solution for that was to cover the whole tank. <laughs> so yeah. instead of using uh, you know just a couple of fixtures over the tank where I'm going to get a lot of shading, even with the T5s, and in particular because this tank's a 30-inch deep tank also, um, what I did was I have four of the 48 inch or pardon me 36 inch aquatic life fixtures and remember my my width on the tank is 42 inches so i'm going perpendicular to the front of the tank uh the 36 inch length covers just about all of the rock work so you know because the rocks aren't stacked up against the side of the glass at all uh and so i have uh over the tank i've got four of those units and in each one of those 36 inch units i have uh, two XR30s and one XR15. So they're basically stacked up right against each other. And that just creates almost a whole panel of light over the entire tank. Yeah. And then in addition, of course, each one of those fixtures has four T5 bulbs in them. So I'm running uh, 16 T5 bulbs over the tank too. So I have the ability of probably cranking up my PAR to uh, 800 or 900 over the top of the tank if I wanted to run it wow. full like that. Wow. I don't run it lower than that. I generally run around 500 at the top, and that gives me about 300 at the bottom on the sand bed. Yeah. And uh, just like you mentioned, I'm primarily SPS, 
that gives me light to to put corals almost anywhere that I want to. I have corals that are, you know, right down near the bottom of the tank and they grow just fine like that. So Yeah, you know, you had me uh, thinking when we were talking a couple of years ago because I was just kind of in the, I think I was in the planning stages of my peninsula tank and um, I ended up mm-hmm. getting, you know, a, um, a six foot long by three foot wide by 20 inch um, tall peninsula tank. I love the dimensions on it. Yep. So I was thinking about the aquatic life uh, fixtures, but um, I, I, you know, I, I don't remember the specifics, but I just couldn't figure out a way to get the amount of lights that I wanted over that tank with those fixtures. It just, it didn't, uh, I think I wanted to get two rows of the, uh, the light fixtures and the aquatic life was just not, somehow it wasn't going to work in terms of the uh, dimensions that I had on that tank. So I ended up going with six uh, GHL uh, Mitras over the tank. And um, yeah, it's, the coverage has been great. I'm I'm getting similar par numbers that you're talking about in terms of like close to 500 Mm -hmm. at the top and, and, and 300 near the, uh, the bottom. So it's um, yeah, I mean, I've got six fixtures over that tank. So it's uh, you know, I think it's um, it's, it's definitely helpful to have that full coverage on a tank. If you're like an SPS, um, you know, person like we are to, uh, to help the, yeah, Yeah, I think that's probably the, the, the biggest issue with the LEDs is that you really can't, I mean, you can, if you're doing, you know, especially with a mixed tank or LPS or things like that, you can get away with fewer fixtures and go by the manufacturer recommendation. But honestly, if you're a a collector uh, like both of us are and really want to provide the, the best conditions you can for your corals, having that complete blanket of light, where you avoid as much shading as possible is super important. So, all right, man, let's talk about corals. Let's talk about some specifics. Somebody made a comment about the anacropora that you have in the uh, the tank. It's just like crazy. Uh, I think they also, well, there's a comment about the Ling Sai uh, cap. Was that, uh, yeah. that correct? That's a classic. That's a classic. Yeah. You um, you also have the, uh, the rainbow splice. Do you still have the rainbow splice? You were like one of the first I do. person uh, people that I was talking to that actually um, had that rainbow uh, splice, and I think at that time, weren't you selling for actual like two grand or something like that? I mean, it was like crazy money. Yeah, so I, that's actually what I paid for my initial frag. Uh, I I've never charged that much for it, um, but I have sold actually quite a few frags over the last uh, year to year and a half, I think, um, and. Uh, Generally, the price has come down a little bit on it. It's still ridiculously expensive, uh, and it, and it's one that you know your your average uh, reefer is probably not going to be real interested in getting a piece yeah. like that, especially where the price is right now. But for the collectors out there, it's well worth it. It's a beautiful, beautiful coral, and it's a pretty good grower. It's also a very uh, uh, hardy coral, extremely hardy. In fact, I had one that I shipped out this uh, a few months ago. And uh, FedEx dropped the ball on it, and it took two days to get oh, there. Oh man! So, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, you must have been. There. Yeah. Well, but, you had insurance, I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah. So the the but that's a that's a beautiful piece. Uh, right now, I think. Let me let me stop. I try to be. Uh, one more question in terms of the splice. Um, I think a lot of conversation about. Um, primarily, it seems to be like green or i guess people that get green frags the question is will it develop the other color you know so what, what are your thoughts in so terms of what, what's been your experience in terms of the green versus the uh, the pink or the red in the uh, in that coral and, and getting like a mostly green so flag that's the two thousand dollar question right <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, so, um and, and it kind of 
remains to be seen a little bit on that. So uh, the green definitely seems to be more dominant with the coral, uh, which is a little strange because I know that the coral started out as, as a red coral, red or pink, uh, magenta kind of color, um, and got this infection, the green fluorescent protein infection. So you would think that the red would remain dominant, but the green appears to be the more dominant. Yeah. And, and that's the case with my colonies too. There's no doubt that there is more green on them. Uh, I've sold, so the going rate for a green frag of the rainbow splice is usually around $300 for about a three quarter of an inch piece. Uh, whereas one that has a balance of colors on it is still going for around 1500 wow. in, in a lot of cases. Wow. Uh, you can find them a little less expensive with both colors in some cases. I generally sell a three-quarter inch frag with both colors for somewhere in the neighborhood of 1200 It always depends on the frag. Uh, and then 300 for, like I said, for a, a, an all-green one. Now, all of that being said, I sold a piece to a friend here in Arizona uh, he's on the boards. Uh, he goes by Xantherum on, on Reef to Reef. And uh, his name is Eddie. And he uh, purchased um, a, a piece from me, about a three-quarter inch piece that had just a small red streak on it. And uh, it started growing out for him. And in his tank, it grows. I've never seen one grow faster. His tank, for whatever reason, it the rainbow splice just loves it. Wow. And for a while, he was worried because it was growing just all green. The red part wasn't expanding it all and you know he mentioned it to me and i was like okay well i'll get you another piece of the red so you can add it to it and hopefully that'll start to take off but before i could even do that as it grew out all of a sudden the red started popping up on different areas huh. on on his coral and now he's actually got quite a bit of red on it and there's a post about it i think it's uh on reef to reef and it's something like the green acro or the green rainbow splice uh support group something like that is the title of the and it's a, it's people that have bought the green rainbow splice and and it's just growing out green for them right now so he went on and posted pictures of his to show how much red has come into it um on mine uh i have three colonies of it right now and i'm seeing the same thing happen with mine where there's areas of green and the red will pop up out of the blue in it. So, so do, uh, do you think that, um, I mean, what percentage of green only frags are developing red? Would you, uh, would you put a percentage on it? No. And I think you have to give it some time also. Yeah. A lot of people have just purchased, um, uh, you know, in recent months. Uh, and, and so I think over time, uh, as the coral gets bigger, you're going to, most of those will see the red come in. It generally develops from the tip. Uh, you'll see it in the in the terminal uh, coralite, uh, and and it'll start to generally come down the side of the the frags when it develops in the tip of the coral. Um, but that being said, I would say that most colonies that uh, I've seen, and and including the ones that I have, it's probably about sixty percent green, forty percent red. Uh, but and then the red will also come and go. Um, I had really a that I put into my display tank, the, the initial piece I put in there, and that one was about 75% red. And over time, as it's grown out, uh, even the areas of red that, that were on it in specific spots, uh, it lost some of those. And then it would pop up in other areas on it. So, yeah, it's, it's, I'm, I'm certainly not going to uh, pretend that, you know, it's always going to have 50-50 on it. Uh, that simply isn't the case. 
Uh, that being said, I think as they grow out, most of the people that have bought green ones will start to see some red come out in it. And when it does, it's amazing. I mean, it's it's really is a beautiful coral. So that's that's my experience and the experience that uh, the people that uh, I know locally that have it. Only a few people have bought it from me locally. Uh, most of the frags that I've sold have been at either shows uh, or sold online off my website. So. So, so Sammy31D is uh, asking a question. I'm not sure if it's to, to you, but uh, seeing the Grafton and Nacrapora on Reef Report. Have you heard of this uh, yeah, Grafton? So. Okay, I, I haven't, that's the first I've heard of that. Yeah, Jake actually put out a, a article about it just before um, Reefstock. So I was talking to him about it at Reefstock, and basically it's the uh, the Jason Fox TNT and Acropora that's a uh, uh, red color. Yep. Uh, and the uh, goldenrod, Reef Ref uh, Canada goldenrod, um, and apparently uh, the same thing happened there. I don't think it was an actual graft. I think it, it picked up this infection in, in the tank. I'm not positive about that. And so now you have this yellow and red anacropora that's really, really cool. Looking. Wow. Uh, I have two of those anacroporas. I haven't seen that happen yet, but I haven't tried mounting them on one piece yet. So that's something I'll do in the future here and see if I can get them to, to do that also. The, uh, the goldenrod anacropora is just a beautiful piece. It's that mustard yellow with the pink polyps, and it's a super fast grower too. And Was that the so, big uh, colony we saw in your tank? No, that's actually the uh, uh, that one's the Green Goblin uh, for it. Did you show the video yet? Yeah, yeah, at, uh, a while oh. ago. Yeah, I'm sorry, okay, I, I mentioned it. <laughs> so, um, on that video, as you're coming around the end of the tank, uh, you'll see the the uh, RRC Goldenrod, and that one's a bright yellow, and that's at the short end of the tank. And then on the back side of the tank is where that green goblin anacropora is. And that colony is bigger than a basketball. That thing is just huge. Yeah, that was awesome. Somebody's it's asking a, to, uh, this was a comment a while ago, that uh, please bring the golden rod to Vegas. <laughs> yeah, I plan to. So. <laughs> I generally have both of those anacroporas at most shows because they are both very fast growers. So it's, that's one of the easiest ones out there to, to uh, uh, grow and frag, for sure. Um, uh, just quickly, a couple of people were asking way back in the uh, in the chat. Um, corals and big clam not impacted by the um, lanthium chloride, right? Yeah, the corals look great today. Uh, no impacts at all. The clam looks happy as a clam. Uh, so that's an awesome know, clam, man. Yeah, it's a knock on wood, but I think that uh, you know, in this case. Uh, it was the ones that are most susceptible to the to the issue. The tangs and the wrasses uh, were the primary victims of this. Uh, a, a few tangs did survive or have to this point, and I'm keeping a close eye on them. Uh, but they're eating and swimming normally. Um, my Sohal tang uh, is good. My uh, powder blue tang, uh, and what's the other one that's looking good? Um, there was another tang. I can't recall right offhand, but. Uh, that tang is also looking good, uh, and a few wrasses also are doing just fine. I have a captive bred uh, cleaner wrasse that's doing great, uh, an exquisite wrasse that's doing just fine, and a nice leopard wrasse, and again, they're all doing fine. So it just kind of hit and miss on which fish are, are affected yeah. by it. So. Dude, I want to be uh, um, you know cognizant of the situation, or do you need to uh, go and check on the tank and all that stuff? Uh, if uh, No, everything looks, I can see it from where I'm at, and everything's seems to be okay so 
yeah, there's really nothing to do right now except observe. So, uh, Courtney, uh, Jameson, any advice for a Monty cap that is encrusting folding up under itself instead of plating? Uh, you know, I actually have, if you take a look at the video, um, I have uh, the WWC grafted cap right in front of, in the front tank. And uh, I've noticed that the parts of it that aren't shaded by other corals is actually growing down, doing exactly what he's saying. So my guess is that it's probably a little too much light. And uh, I think if you put it in an area with a little bit lower light, it should start to grow in that uh, Capricornus formation where it spirals up. Um, again, if you refer to the video, right in the middle of the tank, it's a little bit hard to see, but in the very middle of the tank, in the middle of all that rock work, uh, I have a uh, Steve Tyree uh, flower petal monopora in there. And it's basically shaded by all the corals. It doesn't get a whole lot of light, but it's growing beautifully in there. In fact, it's huge. It's the size of a dinner plate, and it's starting to spiral upwards now. Uh, but I've noticed with some of the ones that are out and under the full light, uh, including the length side cap that I have in the front of the tank there, again, if you look at that, the front part, which is directly underneath full light, is growing down, whereas the back part, which is shaded by other corals and such, is growing up. So... That would be my best guess is that it's probably just a little more light than, than is needed and uh, reduce the light or move it to a lower light area and it should start to, to, to spiral upwards. Speaking of caps, and you mentioned the uh, Worldwide Corals uh, grafted cap, I got a frag of that um, several years ago and um, mm -hmm. I had it in one of my frag tanks and a little green, you know, in the middle of it. Just, uh, you know, it's like this uh, little, it was a, mostly an orange frag with a little um, kind of lightning bolt of green in the middle of it. That yeah. was the only, that it, the green has not grown at all. And I have this cap now huh. in, my, uh, in my peninsula tank, and it is the size of a dinner plate, and there is no green in it. It's like, it looks like a freaking basic orange Monty cap, and it's beautiful. I love it. You know, I love huh. caps, but for some reason, this grafted cap just kind of was stuck in neutral in terms of that green color. I mean, have you ever... Um, run into that situation with grafted corals that just really are stuck in neutral in terms of that one color? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, it hasn't happened with mine, um, but if you look at the one that I have in my, and I have a couple of them, I have an even bigger one in my grow-out system. The one in my grow-out system is very balanced. It's uh, got, you know, orange here and green here, and, and it's really super nice, and it's got a whole bunch of the spiraling going on. The one in the display tank has... The left side of it has a patch about the size of my hand that's all orange. And then as you go to the right, it, it becomes a really nice mix of it. Um, so I'm not sure what would cause that. But what I have done in the past is I've taken uh, a, a piece of the green and cut it and glued it right onto the orange. That's what I should um, have so, done. Yeah, so I can ship you a piece of the green if you want. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot of it. So. <laughs> Unless I try to like just cut it out from the center but uh yeah maybe i should just get the green from you and then uh restart her up yeah or, it's worse the issue I, yeah i literally just glue it right on and let it encrust and then it starts to grow and and and, and gets that the other one that i have is a uh, a grafted digitata and it's the same colors as the the capricornus and that one is is uh the same kind of deal where uh you know the orange and the green kind of pops up wherever it feels like it but sometimes uh 
it'll grow mostly green here and mostly orange here. So I'll just cut a piece of the orange off, put it into the green, cut a piece of the green off and put it into the orange, let it grow into it. And that seems to get it nice and balanced doing that. So uh, what are some of your other favorite corals uh, in your systems there, Bill? Oh, I have so many. Give it's, me your top. Amazing. Give me your top three. Top three. Uh, well, I I have a small, very small frag, about maybe an inch long, of uh, Reef Raft uh, USA's Angry Birds, ah. and that is just an amazing piece. It really is one of those ones where there's no, uh, uh, you don't need to do any photoshopping or anything like that to make it look good. It's just absolutely beautiful. It's also beautiful in full spectrum as well as the blue lights. So I would say that right now that is one of my, for sure, my top three. Um, I have, uh, uh, it's obviously it's real small right now, but that's one that I'm trying to grow out. Um, I just acquired a, a piece of uh, Vivid's Insanity. Uh, that's a tenuous also, beautiful piece, bright pinks, absolutely gorgeous. Some of the older ones that I really like, uh, obviously Jason Fox Homewrecker is a gorgeous piece. Um, the Walt Disney from Mike Bigger, you know, rest in peace, Mike. But uh, uh, his that coral is still an amazing yep. piece. Uh, when it's grown out and and lit properly, it's just you know gorgeous. Um, some of the that uh, uh, that that goldenrod in Acropora is one of my favorites. It's a really beautiful piece, and when it's in a little lower light, which is a nice thing about it, it does well in lower light. Uh, it'll actually develop pink polyps, and so that pink on the yellow is a really beautiful look um but yeah i just i have just so many that are, are uh, pretty crazy looking i have one that i imported myself uh from indonesia about two years ago it's a slower growing tenuous uh and i call that my uh, epic aquaculture catalina wine mixer i don't know if you've seen the movie uh, uh Step Brothers, but yeah. it, it came from that <laughs> and it's a beautiful piece. It's kind of blue with uh, uh, the flame polyps on it. So wow. if, if you want to see that, you can see it on my website. And uh, that's a beautiful, beautiful Somebody piece. Somebody's so asking uh, to... your web address. It's epicaquaculture.com, right? That's correct. Yep. Uh, www.epicaquaculture.com. And uh, you can see that one on there. Like I said, the Catalina Wine Mixer. It's a, a truly uh, beautiful, uh, tenuous uh, I also have one more that I just recently named and started growing out. Uh, I actually got it from a friend, and it was an unnamed coral that he got from a, a wholesaler. Uh, and it, it's uh, a beautiful, bright, glowing orange with yellow on it. It's absolutely gorgeous. So I named that one Prestige Worldwide, which is also from the movie Step Brothers. So that's kind of my series right now. <laughs> it's the uh, Step Brothers. Uh, great <laughs> great uh, beer reef is wondering, uh, does Bill still have the North Star uh, spatula? Uh, it's actually a clathrata. But yes, I still have that. And it's uh, grown out beautifully. It's a gorgeous pink tabling uh, acro. Uh, again, that one's on my site and is available. I got, I, I've been growing that one out, too. I actually picked it up from uh, Battle Corals. So that that is oh, nice. that is a that yeah. is a gorgeous pink table. It really is. Yeah, that was one that I brought in. Uh, what would have been around two thousand, so twenty two years ago, brought that into the U.S. from Indonesia, and uh, and it's a true tabling coral too, which is really so nice. I mean, it, it, the way that it grows is just such a nice formation, has beautiful colors to it. So yeah, that's a great piece. Um. What was I going to ask? Oh, so what coral do you not have that you would like to acquire? 
Oh, I've got a couple that are on my radar, um, and I've had a few that I've uh, I've lost that I need to get back. And fortunately, I have some friends that you know I, I like to bank calls You're, with people. Yeah, banking uh, is good. My good friends. Yeah, Jimmy and Eddie are both you know they're kind of my banks around <laughs> here, so uh, they they have a lot of the pieces. Um, but one of them that I lost that I really love, and I think this was part of the rust issue that I had, uh, I didn't lose much in that issue. I, most things survived and have now recovered, but I did lose uh, my Big R Candyland, which was a really nice piece. So I want to get that one back, and, and fortunately it's done well for my buddy Eddie, so he's going to get me a piece of that here sometime soon. I told him to wait until I know everything is is. Yeah going well before I put it back in there. So I'll probably do that in a, a month or two. Um, I know that uh, Shane Backer uh, from SBBCorals.com, uh, he has a lot of super nice tenuous that are, you know, various rainbow colors. So there's a few that he has that I'd like to get my hands on. And uh, I've got quite a few of his pieces there. They're always beautiful. Um, uh, Rudy Batara at Golden uh, Basket Reefs has a couple of pieces that, uh, that I've, I got a few of him, uh, his pieces uh, a few months ago that are doing real well for me. And he's got a couple more that, that I want to get. Uh, so yeah, there, I mean, there's always something out there, you know, uh, for sure. uh, so many people have imported so many beautiful corals over the last few years. I try to stay away from wild corals. Um, if I do bring some in and occasionally I will, uh, import some myself. I keep them in my systems for a minimum of a year uh, before I'm willing to frag it for myself. And then once I frag it, I grow out mother colonies from those frags. So uh, I won't sell them until they become second generation. Uh, and, and that's kind of my definition of what aquaculture is yeah. to me. Uh, 12 months in captivity and then second generation for the frags. Um, and uh, so, you know, occasionally I'll, I'll get a, a couple boxes of corals in. Uh, I think a lot of people don't realize how difficult it is to bring wild corals in and, and get them to acclimate to captive life. Um, a lot of them will do well for, for a month or so. And, those, uh, and, and when you go to your local fish stores and you see these beautiful tenuous colonies that they get in and such, most of the time they've only been in for, sometimes it's that same week. Yeah. But in a lot of cases, it's within a week or two of them getting them in and, and being out of the ocean. And so they still look pretty healthy and such, but without them becoming acclimated to captive life, in a lot of cases, those corals will die uh, within the next few months. So, uh, pardon me for one yeah, second. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Do what you got to do, man. Well, Sounds like the dog needs to uh, go out. The dog's had to go out. <laughs> yeah, the dog's had to go out. So, uh, but the, um, uh, so, you know, when you get those captive or pardon me, those, those both maricultured and wild corals, and they're just not used to our systems. And obviously there's a huge difference yeah. between the ocean and, and what we can provide for them. So uh, my success rate on wilds and maricultures has been somewhere in the neighborhood of about 70% uh, when I get a box in. So if I get uh, 20 corals in in a box, uh, I fully expect to to probably lose about six of those 20. Um, gotcha. If I can do better than that, I'm ecstatic. And sometimes, of course, it's worse than that. It all depends on the stress and, and you know, what those corals are used to and such. Uh, but at 70% um, within the first month, and then occasionally over the next year or so, sometimes they just up and die. You know, they just seem to be doing great for six months, and then, boom, RTN, you know. So... I think that 
uh, a lot of people wonder about, oh, well, how do we price our corals as a vendor, uh, especially aquaculture corals? How do we price them and, and why are some so expensive? And I fully, I agree with everybody. I think, you know, coral prices, it's ridiculous what we pay nowadays yep. because uh, back when I first started and when you first started, you know, it was no problem to get a full colony for 50 bucks, yeah. you know, and I'm talking big colonies, yeah. not, That's not the ones we see now, <laughs> agriculture, yeah. And, uh, you know, so, and obviously now uh, a $50 frag is going to be something that's fairly common. You know, you don't find too many that are, are in the 10 to $20 range uh, anymore at all. And the way that, uh, I think that what a lot of people don't understand, in particular for aquacultured corals and for somebody like me who doesn't, I'm not a chop shop, I don't get mine in and flip them that month. Uh, a lot of people do that and, you know, that's what they do and, you know, that's, if, if people are happy buying those, that's, you know, good for you, that's great. Uh, I personally don't think that's a good way to do business, but uh, so for me, if I buy that box of 20 corals, I have it shipped to me from Indonesia. I have to pay the air freight on it, which, of course, especially since COVID and now with gas prices yeah, and things like roof. that, just skyrocketed, yeah. skyrocketed. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, obviously you have to pay the cost of the corals. Uh, then you have to get them in. You have to dip them. You have to make sure you remove as many pests as you can find. A lot of the pests won't show up for at least 30 days. Uh even with a good dipping plan. So I quarantine them I, and, and I dip them on a weekly basis. I use potassium chloride primarily because that's one of the few dips that actually kills acro-eating flatworms. And just for everybody's information out there, if you're getting wild or uh, maricultured, uh, if you do not quarantine and dip, you will get acro-eating flatworms eventually. It yeah, I use happen. the uh, potassium it's chloride too, and it's great. The thing I love about that stuff, it's, it's clear. So you can actually see the pest coming off, you know, and it seems to be kind of gentle. It, does, it yeah. seems to be gentle on the, on the corals too. So you do... Uh, it is. I mean, corals will get irritated by it and slime a lot at first, but I've never lost a coral from dipping in potassium chloride, including the wilds and such. I have to let the dogs yeah, in Yeah, yeah, go second. for it. <laughs> Yeah, this taco is our our uh, yellow lab. Um, here, just want to thank here. Rob Upstate. Want to thank ah, what a cutie. Rob Upstate, New York man. So thanks he, for the super chat. Um, what was going to ask you? So, do you think that um, the weekly dips in the potassium chloride is uh, breaking the cycle in terms of the eggs, or you uh, still have to monitor? You know. Um, so you have to be diligent. Yeah, for sure. You, the, the potassium chloride won't kill the eggs. Right. As far as I know, there's really nothing that will kill the right. eggs. Uh, so you do have to break the life cycle with them. Um, and uh, the, I hadn't, I always thought of, because um, I, I have a friend who got acro-eating flatworms, and I had never experienced them in a tank before. So I was not familiar with it. I always, uh, for the last few years, I've used potassium chloride. And, but, I, but when I said I'd never had acro-eating flatworms, in a way it's not true because I have seen them come in on wild corals. But I've never had them as an infestation right. in a tank. I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to catch them using my quarantine and using my dipping methods. So uh, I have some experience with them that I hadn't really thought about before. But 
Um, so yeah, that's, that's the key, uh, break the life cycle. You know, you do the dip initially, you'll see them come off. They, with the potassium chloride, um, the flatworms, they come off and they'll actually disintegrate. It's actually the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) Because it, it, um, it, it's a, uh, an osmotic, um, um, reaction, right? I think it's, it basically, it's the water inside of them. So they burst their, their cells. You're raising the, the, the salinity of the water with the chloride and uh, so yeah they'll just basically like you said their cells are bursting and they'll disintegrate fall apart Uh, but it won't do anything to the eggs so obviously you know you can brush the eggs off as best you can scrape them off as much as possible Uh, even then though the odds are you're not going to get every single one of them so quarantining any wild and maricultured piece uh, will help you with that process. It also makes it super easy to dip because you're not mounting it to the rock and having it start to grow onto the rock. So yeah, my process would be to do it on a weekly basis and do it for uh, about eight weeks is, is usually best. Once I get past that eighth dip um, and have done it for eight weeks, you can be pretty certain that if you haven't seen an acro-eating flatworm that you've, you've taken care of them and, and the life cycle is, is gone. Um, but after that, I still continue to observe them, and they still will stay in my grow-out tanks for a minimum of six months before I would add it. If, I, if it's one that I want personally for my display tank, I'll wait at least six months before it'll go into my display tank, and it has to be showing zero issues with pests, and it has to be growing at that point, too. So, for example, the Catalina wine mixer is a perfect example. Now, that one didn't come in with acro-eating flatworms or anything on it. Um, but it still went through the whole same process. So it didn't go into my display tank until about a year after I got it in. And, and like I said, it's a beautiful piece. So I wanted it in my personal collection. So, so um, uh, Jake Adams is asking a question that um, I actually was going to ask you next. My question was three of the most underrated SPS out there. And Jake's question is, what is the most overlooked acro that you grow and sell? So let's go with Jake's question. So the most, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, the organ tort. Actually. Oh, I love that. And the reason I say that, yeah, the reason I say that is it's just such a beautiful coral. You really won't find a more blue coral anyway. The growth structure is a really cool structure. It's fairly so hardy blue. Uh, once it's established, and and it's just amazingly beautiful. And the reason I say that it's one that's overlooked quite often, and in particular at shows, um, is that it's blue, and at shows, everybody wants to see the corals under the blue light. Well, blue corals don't yeah. show under blue lights. They, 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 they don't, you can't even see them hardly because they're so blue. Um, and so I personally run the AB plus spectrum on my, my own tanks. Uh, but when I go to a show, I, I do what the customer wants because the customer <laughs> is always right. Blues. And I run my light blue. So quite honestly, I don't sell that many frags of the organ tort, even though it's not all that expensive compared to a lot of the, the higher end pieces that are out there now that are charging, you know, $300, $400 for. Uh, I generally will sell a one to one and a half inch frag of organ tort that has multiple branches for around $60. So uh, it, and I remember when, when it was first uh, becoming popular, when Steve uh, Wiest brought it in um, and people started getting their hands on it, I think uh, people were charging three or $400 yeah. for frags of it back yeah. then. Yeah. And that, again, that was 20 years ago. So, um, but for it to cost that much back then would probably mean it was kind of the equivalent of a rainbow splice 
today where in those dollars, if you figured it, it's probably several thousand dollars a frag with inflation built in there. You know, so. that's it's a very good point. I, and I think another thing that we overlook in terms of pricing for um, for certain acros, and, I, and maybe you, you mentioned this before, um, Bill, but also like the growth rates, right? You know, if you have a coral Absolutely. that just grows so freaking slow um, and it's a good yep. looking coral, then that should factor into the price, you know, not... Not, uh, you know, not, um, you know, not to say that, you know, certain coral prices need to be jacked up. But I think that's a legit reason for coral to be expensive is because it takes the, um, you know, the, um, the, the person that's growing it out or the, um, you know, the, the, the company that's growing it out a long time to produce frags for that coral. And I think that can be justified and it's not marketing. You know, it's just something that takes a long time right. to produce. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And and in the case of uh, those corals, you're talking about the electricity. One second. <laughs> those dogs are high maintenance. All right. The other dog had to come back in now, too. So now we're set, uh, now I you're think. Set. <laughs> we can be left in some peace here. Uh, so with those type of corals, you're talking about the electricity. You're talking about the salt, any additives. Um, you know, your, your calcium, your alkalinity, uh, the, the water bill, all of these things, it all costs money, your overhead for growing that one coral out and obviously acquiring that coral. There's a, an expense in that. And the, the wholesalers out there uh, have caught on uh, to, to what people want. So they've raised the prices on those fancy corals when they see them come in. Um, you know, a few years ago, uh, I think that the exporters and the wholesalers weren't so much aware of, of things like the Walt Disney that was commanding $1,000 for a frag when it yeah. first came in. <clears throat> but as they learned that, they, uh, they figured out, hey, I want my piece of the pie. So now instead of paying $50 for a uh, rainbow tenuous, you may end up paying, and I'm talking about the vendor who's importing it, you may end up paying you know, 200 that same coral. So that's, you know, a 400% increase in, in the yeah. cost of the coral itself. Uh, and then, you, you know, uh, as a vendor, you're, it's not a charity, you know, and it's more than a hobby. Uh, you're trying to make a profit to pay your bills, to feed your family and such. So you have to have a profit margin in there or you're spinning your wheels. So... Um, while sometimes I do think there is a tendency for some vendors to uh, uh, definitely uh, price higher than it needs to be, um, you know, it's not always the case that, that that's an automatic fact, that just because a vendor gets a nice piece and slaps a funny name on it or something like that, that they're only doing that in order to get into your pocketbook. Uh, I try to price my corals below market. That's actually one of the things that I do when I acquire a piece. Uh, and most of my pieces have been acquired from other hobbyists and other vendors. Um, so I'm, I'm generally paying retail, just like everybody else out there. Uh, like I said, the Rainbow Splice, when I got it, I paid 2000 for Yeah, you took um, a hit there. When I, yeah. yeah, when I buy uh, you know, a home wreck or something like that, uh, in a lot of cases, I'm buying it just like you are, you know, I'm, or just but like any uh, hobbyist is buying it. Uh, paying the full price for it. And uh, now there are times where I might trade with other vendors, and that's always a great way to do it for, for me because we can both trade our $300 corals and neither one of us is out $300. Yeah, exactly. So that works good. You know. But a lot of times I, I just buy it outright 
at a show or, or online or whatever the case is. So you're, you're talking about these corals. Uh, if I acquire a one-inch piece of rainbow splice, it's going to take me two years to grow that into a, a sizable colony to where I'm ready to frag it. Uh, I also do not chop my colonies up. I only take a few frags at a time off of them. So I feel that sometimes if you over frag a colony, you're going to cause it undue stress yep. and risk it arching on you. So I try to only take two or three uh, of, of a frag off of a good sized colony and I try to keep them, you know, colony sized. Um, so like I said, if I acquire a one inch frag, it's going to take me probably in a, depending on the speed of growth in the neighborhood of a year to two years of growing that out which is a year or two of electricity of water of all those things that we just talked about that i'm doing to grow that coral so my two thousand dollar rainbow splice yeah it started at two thousand but by the time i'm fragging it and able to start recouping some of that i may have put in you know four thousand into that coral growing it out so you know again that goes into the price too uh, yeah. and Again, we're trying to, as a vendor, and for me, this is my way of making a living. I don't do anything else. Uh, I, well, I shouldn't say that. I did have to take on a part-time job in the last year due to COVID cutting down sales. But hopefully things will be bouncing back as we move away from that. Um, but for the most part, my income is generated entirely by, by my uh, revenue from uh, coral shows and my website, as well as some local sales, too. So. Yep. All right, dude. Well, listen. It's uh, we've been talking for over an hour and a half. I think you need to uh, go check in with the uh, with the tank there because, uh, like we said, it's um, it's you know you gotta it, it's it's a gut wrenching type of thing and and it kind of rocks your world a little yeah. bit and uh, you got to make sure your animals are um, you know the ones that are still there are doing okay. So, Absolutely. dude, uh, any uh, any last uh, final words there you want to um, pass along? We already yeah. talked about your website, epicaquaculture.com. Yes, appreciate that. And uh, if anybody is interested, I do quite a few shows. My show schedule is listed on the website. So if you want to come out and meet me in person, I think uh, my next show is actually here in Phoenix. Uh, that's on April 16th. Uh, then on May 7th, I'll be in Las Vegas for a show. And uh, that one's uh, put on by Reefs of Las Vegas, uh, Hedy Fazell. He's a, a great guy. Uh, and then I'll be out in California in Santa Ana for uh, Coral Farmers Market uh, in June. So those are my next three upcoming shows. If anybody's going to make it to Reef of Palooza, like I mentioned before, I'll be uh, at the Anaheim show in August and the uh, Dallas show in October. And those are always a blast. You really get to see a ton. Even if you're not looking to buy things, it's so much fun to go out to these shows and just see the amazing corals. It's really a, a, a cool experience. So if you haven't done one, if one of these is going to be in your hometown, uh, definitely try to make it out. They're, they're a lot of fun. And I just want to thank you, Keith, for having me on again and uh, talking to you for this uh, length of time. has kind of taken my mind off of the, the things that have happened today. So I actually feel a lot better. I'm able to smile well, now. So. Dude, I'll tell you, man, when, when yes, you, like man. I said, when you called me like 20 minutes before the stream, I, was, I thought you were, you know, basically your mindset. I was like, this show is not happening. He's not, he can't do the show. And, uh, yes. I know I, so I appreciate you doing the show. Yeah. I wanted to check in with you cause I didn't want to be a uh, Debbie Downer or something <laughs> like that. And, you know, just come on and, and do with a, with a towel of crying, you know, or something like that. But, uh, no, I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate everybody who uh, tuned in today and, uh, and keep tuning in because he's got a great show, has a lot of great guests. Thanks. So. But one, one last rapid fire question from Jake. I think you uh, answered this question. Um, what coral is highest on your wish list? 
if you had to put one at the top? Uh, so the so specifically on my wish list, I just acquired uh, the Refraff Canada Jaw Dropper and Vivid's Insanity. So those were my two that were on my list for. Uh, so I have to go back to the to the uh, drawing board to figure out the next one I want. <laughs> well, I don't have an answer. There's, there's plenty of there's plenty of choices out there, man. All right, Bill. Certainly, yeah. Bill, man. Thanks again for uh, for being on the stream, given the circumstances, and uh, love to have you back on again sometime down the road, and and perhaps we'll run into uh, one another at a show. Uh, in the future time. That sounds good. So uh, again, All again, right. thanks to the uh, sponsors, Bulk Resupply and Ecotech Marine for um, supporting the show and all you folks out there for tuning in. I really, really appreciate it. want to also remind you that all episodes of Wrapping with Refum are now available as podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. My next live stream is not going to be a Wrapping with Refum. It's actually going to be a live choral show this Saturday at 3 p.m., on YouTube here, and um, yeah, 20% off of the uh, the stuff that I'm selling on my website, so please tune in, and uh, we could even do some Q&A if you want to bring, uh, I'm going to be drinking a beer, so bring your uh, beverage of choice, <laughs> should be a lot of fun. The next Wrapping with Refum will be on Thursday, March 31st, with um, Tim Herman, another fellow um, coral hoarder, known as uh, Thurman yeah. on uh, Reef to Reef, so Tim was on before, and I'm sure it will be another great chat. Until then, be safe, and we will see you next time. Thanks, Keith. Thanks, Bill.